Maybe Mary was right when she looked at Jesus and supposed that He was the gardener. No, I don't mean the caretaker of the graveyard, but the gardener of the cosmos. In the poem that begins his Gospel, John makes an astounding assertion. That Jesus of Nazareth, the one whom we have come to know as Jesus the Christ, didn't just come onto the scene in 6 BCE when He was born in Bethlehem in a manger, but existed before the world was created. John calls Him the Logos, which would have put his Greek-speaking audience on the edge of their seats. John uses this philosophical term to say that Christ was the logic or the reason or the blueprint of all of creation. All things came into being through Him, and without Him, not one thing came into being. John is saying that while it was still dark, before life existed, Christ looked into the formless void and saw light. That while it was still dark, Christ looked into the chaos and saw infinite potential. That while it was still dark, Christ imagined a garden. And Christ the gardener and His Father the Creator and the Spirit spoke in unison. And it was a thunderous speech. There's a reason those scientists call it the Big Bang. Nobel Prize winner Sir Roger Penrose claims that in the Big Bang, the universe died and was reborn. And he says it'll happen again. It's almost as if Penrose isn't just looking into black holes, but reading Genesis and maybe Revelation. But back to the beginning. And then the gardener, the Creator, and the Spirit spoke again, let there be light so that there are days and seasons. So the sun came to warm the earth and keep plants growing and photosynthesizing oxygen. And they said, let there be a separation of the water so that the soggy stardust can dry out enough to become fertile topsoil full of microorganisms and that there can also be vast blue oceans and deep rivers and flowing streams and April showers, all irrigation systems put in by the gardener. And they said, let there be arugula and spinach and mint and basil and tomatoes and broccoli and grapes, sweet potatoes and azaleas and redwoods and prairie grasses. And the gardener got to work planting all kinds of seeds. And then they said, let there be all kinds of fish and birds and animals. In the hands of the gardener, that rich stardust, dirt that sustained the plants was also clay which was shaped to make plankton and shrimp and marlins and whales in the sea and cardinals and bald eagles and bats above and cattle and squirrels and dogs and elephants below. Then the gardener imagined something more. And he spoke together with the Creator and the Spirit and said, let there be one made in our own image and likeness. In the Hebrew, it was Adam, or Adam, out of Adamah, 
earth from earthling, human from humus. And this spirit was held, this person was held together by the very breath of God. And after all this, the gardener wiped the sweat from his brow, and he, he and the Father and the Spirit proclaimed, Wow, it is very good. That three in one God didn't need any help keeping the garden going. They could do it all on their own, but they wanted partners, co laborers to share this work with. So they called man and woman to till and to keep the earth with them, to have skilled mastery over the animals, and to be shepherds and conservationists. But we know what happened. These people created to nurture God's love in the world destroyed the delicate balance of creation. They destroyed each other. They destroyed the earth. And so instead of delighting in Eden, the paradise the gardener had planted, they spent their days groaning in childhood and fighting with thistles and thorns and dodging serpent strikes, living in fearful conflict with nature, red in the tooth and claw. But the grace of the Creator abounded and the hope of Christ the gardener was reckless and the Spirit kept blowing into life to keep it going. The gardener threw out seeds of love, knowing some that would be trampled underfoot and some would be eaten by the birds and some would have shallow roots and not be able to withstand the sun. But he knew that some would fall on good soil. And so he kept on planting and he kept on throwing out seed. And the gardener knew that even death could be used to create new life. The gardener knew that every time plants would flower as they seemed to die, that they would throw out seeds that would bring them back to life again. The gardener knew that when the leaves turned colors and browned and fell off the trees and the blackened branches shook, like an angry fist in the winter wind, that it only looked like the end. That the dry leaves on the ground were actually giving their lives to insulate and feed the tree through the roots so it could grow green again. The gardener knew what Natalie Sleeth wrote in her hymn, that in the bulb there is a flower, in the seed an apple tree, in cocoons a hidden promise, Butterflies will soon be free. In the cold and snow of winter, there's a spring that waits to be, unrevealed until its season, something God alone can see. The gardener knew that new life could grow out of death. It's how he designed it, after all. I mean, the gardener still wept every time he saw a sparrow fall to the ground. He still wept every time he saw the lilies of the field shrivel and brown and be thrown into the fire. The gardener still wept every time the breath of life left another human and their body returned to the dust. But as he saw them planted in the tomb of the earth, watered by his tears, he knew that his sowing would lead to a reaping with shouts of joy as life grew out of that death. The gardener saw something of his own image and likeness, his own nature, in that resurrecting dirt. As Wendell Berry writes, the most exemplary nature is that of topsoil. It is very Christ-like in its passivity and beneficence. 
And in the penetrating energy that issues out of its peaceableness, it increases by experience, by the passage of seasons over it, growth rising out of it and returning to it, not by ambition or aggressiveness. It is enriched by all things that die and enter into it. It keeps the past, not as a history or as a memory, but as richness, new possibility. Its fertility is always building up out of death into promise. Death is the bridge or the tunnel by which its past enters the future. The gardener knew that new life would emerge from death. Not just that humans and animals would pass on their genes to the next generation. Not just that their remains and the remains of other plants and animals would decompose to build topsoil that would grow the vegetables to feed the animals that would sustain the next generation of life. No, no, no. Christ the gardener had more in mind. An even more miraculous harvest. To grow it, He would be born into flesh and come down to be with us in the garden as wrecked and ruined as it was. He would get His hands dirty in the mess of human life, smelling its stink and feeling the pain of its decay in His bones. And as the mourners laugh, Jesus the gardener would resurrect a 12-year-old girl who had just died hours before. And He would resurrect His friend Lazarus who had decomposed three days in the tomb. But the gardener was just getting started. Jesus told His disciples that He would die and be raised too. Very truly, I tell you, unless a grain of wheat falls into the earth and dies, it remains just a single grain. But if it dies, it bears much fruit. After they took Him down from the cross, the gardener's own body would become like one of His seeds, buried so low in the deep, dark compost pile of history that it would never emerge again, or so they thought. But those who sowed with tears like Mary would reap with joy at the most improbable harvest. Mary saw before her the gardener standing in defiant beauty, very much alive like an Easter lily which stuns us as it bursts forth blooming from the cold, dark ground. And we are here this morning to remember and celebrate what Mary saw, what Mary proclaimed, that Jesus is risen, risen indeed, that new life can and will push through the hard soil of death, that death itself can and will be transformed into life. But that's not all. This pattern of life coming from death we see in nature season after season. This pattern of life, Jesus coming back from, to life from death, will also be the pattern of our own lives. And it will also be the pattern of this whole world. And the gardener will not rest until this work is done. Listen to what Paul wrote. Christ has been raised from the dead, the first fruits of those who have died. For since death came through a human, the resurrection of the dead has also come through a human. For all, as all die in Adam, 
So all will be made alive in Christ. But ye each in its own order. Christ the firstfruits. Then at His coming those who belong to Christ. Then comes the end when He hands over the kingdom to God the Father after He has destroyed every ruler and every authority and power. For He must reign until He has put all His enemies under His feet. And the last enemy to be destroyed is death. I know it is still dark. I know death is still our mortal enemy. We feel its sting as our bodies age. As it cruelly takes our loved ones like a thief in the night. As it mercilessly destroys ecosystems and endangers species. I know everywhere we look, it looks like death is winning. But death cannot win, and it will not win. From the past will come the future, what it holds a mystery. Unrevealed into its season, God alone can see. Just like in the beginning, this whole world is in the hands of Christ the gardener. He sees light in our darkness and possibility in our chaos. And Christ the gardener has sown seeds of resurrection, even and especially in the decay all around us. And they are growing even now, a new garden, a new heavens and an earth. In that garden, we will be resurrected and reunited with those beloveds that have gone before us. Our tears will be wiped away in mourning and crying and death and pain will be no more. That is why on this Easter, we do not grieve as those who have no hope, but shout hallelujah through our tears, knowing the harvest that is to come. Until that harvest comes, live these words from Wendell Berry. Friends, every day do something that won't compute. Love the Lord. Love the world. Put your faith in two inches of humus that will build under the trees every thousand years. Listen to, your, to the carrion. Put your ear close and hear the faint chattering of the songs that are to come. Expect the end of the world. Laugh. Laughter is immeasurable. Be joyful, though you have considered all the facts. Practice resurrection. May it be so with us.